Hello and welcome to the Broadway Binge Podcast. I'm Jeremy. I'm Hannah. And we are going to tell you the history of American musical theater by reviewing and ranking all of the most important musicals from Showboat to today. Today we'll be talking about The Music Man, opened in 1957 with book, music, and lyrics by Meredith Wilson, based on a story by Wilson and Franklin Lacey. But uh, first we'd like to introduce our special guest, You may know him as the co-host of the most popular Star Wars podcast in the world, Star Wars Minute, (laughs) or more relevant to this episode, co-host of what might be the most popular Beatles podcast in alphabetical. It is Pete the Retailer. Hey, Pete. Hi. Thanks for having me. I feel special. (laughs) Happy to have you, Pete. Happy to be here. You're something of a musical... I don't. I don't want to say musical expert, but you have two no. musical related podcasts or so that's, music related. That's, that's true. more than we have. That's I'm more music than us. adjacent. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> Pete, what's your experience with uh, theater, musical theater? Uh, tell us your story. <laughs> well, uh, this part of why uh, part of why I picked the Music Man, part of why I wanted to be on this episode, is because this is uh, one of the musicals that I was actually in in school. <sighs> Um, okay yeah this is the ninth grade uh musical this is the kind of the the school that i was in it was a private school that only went up to ninth grade so this is kind of Mm. the the swan song it's like the seniors did this as a a big uh, production and (laughs) because i was a a a tiny short slight uh uh, ninth grader in in high school i grew a lot so and when i started high school i was five feet and when i left i was six feet Um, but, uh, at the time being five <laughs> feet, I was a uh, perfect, uh, perfect guy to play a little kid. So I was Winthrop. Oh, um, oh, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. I would okay. have figured you for the bass in the barbershop quartet, given mm. your current voice. Now, maybe, yeah, but at the time, it was, uh, it was pretty perfect. Went through. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to brag and say that I was perfect, but it was good, uh, good typecasting. It worked yeah. out. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's great. Well, then we're going to have to check in about Winthrop, I think, throughout this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Nice to know your personal connection to it. <laughs> so, so you were like a theater kid in your youth. Did you really like musical theater? Yeah, I was, uh, um, you know, in whatever productions I could in that school. And then I changed schools um, pretty frequently after that. So I kind of never found the, the theater kind of, you know, I, I by the time I kind of got my bearings and figured out, you know, what, who, who was what, what was going on, then like I had already missed auditions. So I didn't mm. get to appear in any real musicals after that school wise. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I, I eventually ended up on crew. So I was, I was uh, kind of, you know, help building stuff and spot operator for some musicals. Uh, nice. in high school. Like spot up is year. a great job. I oh, just want to say, I just want to give some love to spot ups everywhere. Plus, I got to feel like uh, Han Solo that every time it would be like, all right, we're going to do a run through and I'd get to put a, go run up a little thing, climb a ladder, put on my headset and get a little turret. And I was like, yeah. Nice. Um, but yeah, then I I was, uh, despite not performing in any further ones, I was uh, I was in the musical club where we'd go see Broadway musicals. Uh, you know, they'd do field trips, series of field trips throughout the year in, uh, in one school. And then um, since then, it's been a... I think in my 20s, I kind of, you know, was worried about other stuff briefly. But then sure. since then, I've kind of gone back and I try to see shows as often as I can. But it's not that often. Mm-hmm. Hell not yeah. as often as I'd like. That's pretty crazy. that Because you grew up in the New York area, right? Yeah. It's yeah, pretty crazy Island. that you could just have a, new, a musical club and just like high schoolers just going to see Broadway shows. Because I know Hannah's from New England and I'm from <laughs> yeah. Chicago. So that was just not a thing. Right. That was my we first had touring shows, well. but yeah. 
Yeah, we'd go to Boston to see stuff if we wanted to, but right. um, yeah. yeah, I love I love a, I love a Broadway field trip. <laughs> yeah, I didn't uh, I didn't realize it was such a thing at the time. It was just kind of like, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's next door. Yeah, great. Right. Cool. All right. Yeah, we should dive in, Jeremy. I know yeah. you have a lot to say about The Music Man, which in case you hadn't already guessed is what we're talking about this week. Um, yeah, Jeremy, why don't you start us off with a little uh, general history, a little, little academia. Uh-huh. Sure, yeah. I don't have a ton to say because we don't need to introduce a hundred characters like we did last week with West Side Story right. where every single <laughs> member of the team was like, you know, a huge celebrity because this is really a one-man thing. Uh, there's a mm. guy named Meredith Wilson and we've talked about Frank Lesser. He was the uh, writer of the book and music and lyrics. Maybe not the book, but definitely the music and lyrics of Guys and Dolls. And he had a huge hit with that and another huge hit with How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying and some other stuff like Most Happy Fella. And he sort of collected uh, these sort of younger, or if not younger, newer people to the musical theater scene as his kind of protégés. We've talked about Richard Adler and Jerry Ross, who did both Damn Yankees and Pajama Game. They were Mm. sort of acolytes of Frank Lesser through his publishing company, the Frank Music Corporation. And the other big person who sort of came up under Frank Lesser's guidance was uh, Meredith Wilson. And Meredith Wilson was not some young, fresh-faced person who'd never written music before. He had already been writing a lot of radio and film and television music uh, before writing uh, The Music Man. But The Music Man was his very first musical, which is pretty crazy that such a popular show is just this guy who's never done it before. Man, Uh, every time I hear Meredith Wilson, Jeremy, I always forget that Meredith Wilson is not a woman. Um, oh, and yeah. I just, I just want to let you in on that. I'm like, oh, it's like, oh yeah, Music Man was written by, no, it wasn't. Nope. Meredith Wilson's a man. Um, no, of I, course I don't think wasn't. I knew that for years. <laughs> yeah. Until yeah. All right. Thank you, Pete. I feel really internet, validated. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Continue. No. Yeah. So I guess just to finish it off, the way he came up with this is that he grew up in Iowa before the first world war. He was kind of old when this came out. Um, I mean, not that old, but he wasn't like a, you know, fresh spry 23 year old Sondheim. He wasn't like Steven Sondheim. About. Okay. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Um, so he's sort of remembering to his youth and that's part of why, I mean, none of us were around in 1912, but it just sort of feels a little authentic. Like, yeah, Mm -hmm. it's making fun of the 1910s, probably making it seem more innocent than it was, but there's a certain authenticity to it because he actually did this stuff. He actually played in marching bands at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, so this is sort of his own, it really was him showing the world this lost, wonderful type of life that he used to have. And the sort of uh, experience that Iowa had coming into the 20th century, maybe a little bit against its will. Uh, mm. So that's the basic background uh, behind this. In terms of characters, I, there's no evidence that he actually knew like a musical con man. He did meet a librarian in World War II. Um, oh. It was sort of the loose inspiration of Mary, and there's also no evidence I can see that they ever like got together or anything. But okay, All right. uh, yeah, that's the basic premise of this. I mean, he was a big marching band fan, so that's why he was able to write marches like this. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, there's the story behind Meredith Wilson. So you know, because of the Frank Lesser connection, he was able to get some producers together, no one we've ever heard of, and they right. got the show put up in 1957, and it was a monster hit. Uh, let's just see how many performances. It ran for 1375 performances, which is not a record um, because it is a lot. Uh, My Fair Lady still has the record at this point with like 2,700 and it won five Tonys, including beating West Side Story for Best Musical. Music Man beat West Side Story for Best Musical. That is correct. Mm -hmm. That's wild. That's wild. We talked about West Side Story last week. We actually did a two episode 
special because it's such nice. a massive part of culture. Yeah, um, totally. God, it's weird to look back and remember like what won. And it also gives me faith that like when the musicals I don't like win, it doesn't matter. I also love <laughs> The Music Man, I will say. But to that end. Um, yeah, I can, I can see why this would win it's you know you leave the theater probably jazzed and happy and back then they weren't ready we talked about how they might not have been ready for west side story that might be a little bit condescending for us to say but (laughs) even if they were ready for it it just probably didn't leave the critics feeling as happy it was so different right Right. well okay i mean that sets up the fact that music man is like a really feel good musical (laughs) Um, yeah considering it's you know the story of a of a con man of people you know <laughs> almost you know on the verge of getting ripped off and right. you know, on the verge yeah. of lives getting ruined it's uh i guess it's the that's the the fact that it kind of doesn't is, is what makes it a great uh you know such a such a feel-good thing such a positive right um, yeah because the world's kind of seedy is something i realized like rewatching it we, um, i watched the was the 1964 film right 62, 1962. Okay. Um, and then there's a more recent film with Matthew Broderick. I saw the show a lot growing up. They did it at one of the local high schools. I think I saw it at a local theater as a kid. So I, I've seen it a lot of times. Um, but rewatching, I was like, oh, yeah, the world's kind of like seedy, right? You have like the pool hall and, and the nicotine. Well, that's and fake. The, yeah, but it's fake. Exactly. Like, it, the but pool it's hall's like, not actually seedy. Yeah, but like, <laughs> I don't know, bit, it's gesturing at this. Right. Yeah. What are you going to say, Pete? No, it might be a little bit like the fact that he him referencing it can kind of set them that in yeah. that direction means that there is some seed there. <laughs> There's some seed. There's some yeah. general seed. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's weird. It's a weird. It's a weird world. Like it feels like a really different departure from a lot of the shows we talked about recently, Jeremy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, West Side Story was the biggest departure of all, but even sure. this is is sort of different from you know Damn Yankees and. Uh, What's the other one that those those two jokers wrote? Oh yeah, pajama game. <laughs> right. Um, and, yeah, some, something about this. It feels more American. I mean, this show's always been sort of described as you know Americana, as American mm-hmm. of apple pie. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, let's let's dive into talking about the actual show and Great. what we what we did. We all watch the movie, by the way. Yeah. Okay. Right. Love that. Do we yeah. want to do like a little brief plot synopsis? Um, sure. Yeah. So, uh, Robert Preston, who Great. was the, um, he plays Harold Hill, both in the original <laughs> Broadway cast and the 1962 film. He is a con man, goes to small towns in the Midwest, convinces them they need to have a boys marching band, convinces them to buy marching band music and uniforms and instruments from him. And then he skips town after they've paid, but before he can actually teach them how to play in the marching band. But in this town, he falls in love with a librarian, and he takes a liking to her little brother, Ron Howard, and <laughs> um, he decides to stay in town and actually make a marching band. He's and, not actually yeah. named Ron Howard, right? <laughs> yeah, no. Right. <laughs> yeah, great. Cool. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's the, that's the gist of it. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's such a basic story. Um, um, I don't know. I'll grow up saying, like, I grew up really in love with Mary and the librarian. I just want to toss that out there, um, that she's just um, really wonderful. <laughs> uh, all my favorite songs in the... That's, is that true? I love I love the White Knight song, I will say, mm. uh, that she sings about Harold. Which, looking back now, I'm like, oh, maybe that's not great. But, um, you know, at the time, really lovely. <laughs> really? And I love that, like, I feel like there's, like, a, a real family thread at the soul of the show, right? Because, like... Something that I was struck by rewatching it too is like what she makes her fall for him is that she's kind, that he's kind to her little brother. 
And that's sort of like human kindness is like the redemptive thread in this story, uh, which I think is part of the feel-good nature of it. Right. That's how he kind of shows that he's got heart. Yeah. So it's... uh... So I guess starting with the opening of sure. this, it's a really interesting uh, opening number. A lot of the songs in this are not set to music. They're set to uh, just sort of a, a pattern. And this mm-hmm. is to the noises of the train, you know, the, the chugga-chugga-choo-choo train noises. And you have all these actors bouncing up and down like they're actually on a train. And they speed up and slow down. They're all playing talk, fast-talking, talking salesmen. Um, to the speed of the train. I guess um, I think it's a pretty interesting song, so let's play um, a little bit of it. We don't care about copyright infringement on this show, Pete. um, I'll cover my ears. Great. Uh, So here is uh, the beginning of Them on the Train. Oh, wait, this is the overture. (laughs) Cut this out in post. That's actually interesting. I haven't listened <laughs> to the original Broadway version before, and I was expecting the actual noise of the train that they have in the uh, movie version, but it is not there. No. Yeah, that I... I uh, I think you know we as a as I said we we performed this in ninth grade and it was like <laughs> way you know we kind of knew what we were going for I think we all got together and watched the movie but like that you know we didn't have any sound effects playing while we did it and so I think mm-hmm. to you know to the audience granted you know there's a little bit of uh, you know I guess we'll get there when we get to the end but there's a little <laughs> bit of like nobody really cared about how good we were they just wanted to see their kids performing but sure. um but it, I I could imagine just being somebody kind of not you know not that invested in it and be like what the heck are they doing because there's you know a bunch of teenagers you know preteens whatever just trying to kind of like get that rhythm across without actually having any sound effects or any any accompaniment any help and it was just kind of like you know I can imagine that <laughs> I, I would hate to go back and watch it somewhere there's a videotape sure. I I think oh, there's man. a VHS tape in the basement somewhere. Um, oh, that I would love to go back and see what you know what what we did and who mm. uh, if anybody if that came across at all or if it's just like wow these guys have a really weird way of uh, speaking. Why are they talking? That? <laughs> yeah. I feel like I'm utterly charmed anytime like children put on suits and I feel like that's like the oh, yeah. that's like guys and dolls a little bit of pajama game music man like right. I feel like that's really the aesthetic of high school musical theater <laughs> or middle school musical theater in America um, the only yeah. production of music men I've ever seen live was uh, middle school it was when mm-hmm. I was too young to be in middle school and I looked at it and I was like oh man I can't wait to be in the middle school musical I'm so excited One day, mm-hmm. yeah um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. kids all seem so old and so grown <laughs> up yeah I remember seeing it at a local high school um, I'm glad we all like had experiences seeing music man as children yeah. <laughs> I think that we have not talked about a musical in this way before. Yeah, I remember seeing it at the local high school, and I remember the guy playing Harold Hill seemed like my dad's age to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, well, so Patter songs. I feel like we can touch on that. Um, Ooh, yeah. Good, yeah. Good connection. A l- little segue. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so much Patter in this show, and I think that is a departure from a lot of the shows we talked about before. Um, 
And it's super fun. It's super iconic. In some ways, it's, like, way less musically complex. Like, we were looking at Sondheim last week and talking about shows with weird time signatures, looking at West Side Story and thinking about those orchestrations. And this feels like... It's funny that we describe it as Americana. I'm also, like, it's maybe the most basic score uh, of any show we've talked about so far, dare I say. Hot but in take. a good way, because the songs in a great can, way. can get in your head. They're not oh, yeah. simple in a boring way they're simple in a right. like oh i'm surprised I'm, it's almost like i'm surprised these songs hadn't already been written because they're so mm-hmm. uh yeah right a little yeah, bit okay, of a stretch right. but it's like a it's like a three-chord punk song or something it's like a ramones Ooh. you know where it's like okay Ooh, like this isn't okay. this isn't super complex but it's like it it you get it and you know because you know kind of a little bit of where it's going it totally um mm-hmm. it works and it gets in your head and it's mm-hmm. it just feels familiar even though it's new in a sense you, hear, you heard it here, uh, Pete the Retailer is comparing <laughs> Music Man to the Ramones. Oh, totally. Um, I'm here for that, honestly. I'm really here for that comparison. <laughs> um, the thing that I was most curious about, and it sort of took me on a sidetrack when I was watching this movie, and I watched the movie when I was a kid, of course, but I watched it again for the show. They talk about a Jew's harp, and I'm like, what's a Jew's oh, yeah. harp? It's that um, weird little mouthpiece thing. Yeah, because yeah. I, I'm a Jew, and no one has ever right. informed me I'm of my harp. I'm also a Jew. And no one... <laughs> you guys didn't get your harps? Come on. You didn't, no. You'd think that like when you get part of the bat, the bat mitzvah processes, they're like, and this is your harp. Right. No. I, <laughs> but it, it's, yeah. I remember that being a thing with, um, I think there was a cartoon that Snoopy had one also, and they were talking oh. about it, and I, I remember it mm-hmm. between this and Snoopy being like, okay. I guess this it. is a thing, but I'm confused by it still. And I, now I, that you mention that, I can actually picture uh, Snoopy playing something like this because I, mm-hmm. I was a big fan of uh, Charlie Brown growing mm-hmm. up. Uh, but yeah, it's it looks like a horseshoe, but you st- you put it in your mouth and you just sort of it's like a you hu- it sort of hums. It's it's weird. Yeah, it, like uses your skull as a resonator, basically. Mm. Um, not to not to sound weird and morbid or whatever. But. <laughs> Sounds like a like a threat. Yeah. Like I'm gonna use your skull as a resonator, but <laughs> I'm gonna resonate in your skull. Um, mm-hmm. I think now that they just call it a jaw harp, they've they've mm-hmm. kind of condensed. I can't it imagine why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. We're off. We're off of the races. So that's the um, that's the that's the opening track of Music Man. Big question. I'm gonna send actually both of you guys a link on uh, the the G- the Hangouts page so that you can look at this my big question that i thought watching this movie is is robert preston wearing a toupee oh wow that's a really important question Mm. i'm clicking the link honestly based on what we're looking at which you probably should just post uh as a link i will uh for everyone listening at home i'm gonna say yes yeah Mm. so i first noticed he's wearing a hat for the beginning he wears a hat for a lot of it and i noticed that his sideburns looked way too red like Mm. not like sort of brownish red, but in a color that just didn't match with the wrinkles on his face. So I was like, oh, this guy's dyeing his hair. And then he takes off his hat for this luscious, you know, well-sculpted hairstyle. And I'm just thinking, mm-hmm. I think this is a toupee. So I Googled Robert Preston toupee, and there's only one link on all of the internet that mentions him ever wearing a toupee. It's not in this uh, show, but it's in a different movie called SOB. I just sent a link to that picture, hmm. if it works for you guys. Um, and it's from his obituary in the LA times. They mentioned that he was wearing a toupee in this later movie from the eighties, which proves that he is someone who has been known to wear toupees in his life. (laughs) And that he was in the process of going balding, presumably in the sixties. So I Mm -hmm. think he's wearing a toupee in the music man and no one else on the internet has ever made this observation. Interesting. So I'm doing some background Googling here too, because I'm looking, I'm like, well, what about in, 
because he's also in The Last Starfighter, which I I watched oh. a lot growing mm-hmm. up. And I was like, his hair looks mm-hmm. right then. But again, he's wearing a hat and it's this like big bush. He seems like kind of overcompensation mm. um, kind of hairstyle there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. Maybe this is this is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, here I pulled up the L.A. Times. <laughs> Uh, obituary let me the wording of it is uh the, the obituary begins by mournful coincidence on sunday morning one of the cable movie channels was showing blake edwards sob and there, larger than life was robert preston in a deep pile toupee <laughs> so um a deep pile toupee wow that's the name of my new punk band also <laughs> deep pile toupee. Oh, i kind of want to i need to sing that to raspberry beret if- yep <laughs> that's good that's good <laughs> Thanks for get, bringing uh, us here, Jeremy. <laughs> oh, yeah, no problem. We need to get Matt Gorley here with his. Uh, yeah, he's got the wig dar. That's what I was gonna. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a. I know he's a musical hometown, but maybe I'll text him while we do. No, no, it's like too early in the morning for him there. <laughs> oh man, we'll get him next time. <laughs> um, I do think the last Starfighter was filmed after Sob. I, uh, I think I saw it on yeah. Robert Preston's Wikipedia. It was his final theatrical film. So he, if if there was any hair under that hat, it was probably a toupee. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it could Great. be. It wouldn't All surprise right. me. Um, well, now we've solved that. Thanks, Jeremy. Yeah, no prob. Um, so what's next? Iowa Stubborn. I have nothing to say on that song. No, me neither. I, I have no notes. I There's a lot of either. songs. Not in the... Um, There's a couple of songs that we that got cut out for the, the high school version. Um, oh, yeah? Either for time or content. I'm not sure which, but the Iowa Stubborn did, was not in the show, as far as I recall. That'll so, do it. Um, yeah, I forgot how we transitioned from the... the opening song to the um what comes after that what's the then he, i guess he just after he get, hops off the train he just kind of walks into town trouble oh, trouble we really we should spend some time on trouble because yeah. for me that's the takeaway song from this whole show right. yeah i guess <laughs> before we talk about trouble too much just to give people context and i feel like this is one of those songs everyone listening probably already knows but here is a little bit of trouble which is sort of uh the the song from this movie in my or this musical <laughs> in my opinion so in our yeah. professional opinion yeah a pool table, don't you understand? Friend, either you're closing your eyes to a situation you do not wish to acknowledge, or you are not aware of the caliber of disaster indicated by the presence of a pool table in your community. Well, you got trouble, my friend. Right here, I say trouble right here in River City. Why, sure, I'm a billiard player, certainly mighty proud to say I'm always mighty proud to say it. I consider that the hours I spend with a cue in my hand are golden. Help you cultivate horse sense and a cool head and a keen eye. Did you ever take and try to find an ironclad leaf for you? Okay, I don't want to go too long, uh, <laughs> but uh, that's the basic gist. It's very uh, rhythmic, just talking. Uh, Robert Preston, he can get out some notes in some of these songs later on, but he's not really a singer. He's a character mm-hmm. actor um, of, of minor fame before this uh, musical who really got cast on the strength of his ability. And the story goes that he the audition song was You Got Trouble, and he came in and did that really well and got cast without them really hearing his singing voice, which ended up being fine. But uh, Right. Hmm. Yeah. Not amazing, oh, but not passable, doable. Passable. Mm-hmm. Um, there's weird, uh, n- not to go off uh, on too much of a tangent, but the parallels between... Do uh, it. Um, Robert Preston in this and uh, and Rex Harrison and My Fair Lady, where oh, it's like, mm-hmm. if you think they're both like kind of talk singing through a lot of it, they were both like, you know, in the Broadway production, then went to the movie and they were a little, probably maybe a little bit older than they should have been for the movie part. And then it's, mm-hmm. you know, there's a couple of, I don't know, interesting, they're both HH characters. It's a weird uh, 
Somebody could oh. write a somebody oh. could write a paper about that. Somewhere. Oh, H, that's big, kind of big, Pete. Oh man, <laughs> that's uh, that's interesting. I'll have to, if I have any like younger cousins, I'll have to like funnel them that paper idea. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> write this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, wow. Okay. Um, I, they're I both too s- old for the woman. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. but, right. That's mm-hmm. what I, I think. Oh. They went. You know, they gave the the male actor the the they let him kind of you know re uh, revisit the part that he originated mm-hmm. but then they were like well we need a we need a you know hot new young leading lady for both of them so what's more americana than that am i right, right. <laughs> ah! um no okay to your point though i actually was thinking the same thing we've been talking a lot about because part of our work has been like we've been rewatching film versions of these old shows because we're still talking about shows from an era where jeremy and i weren't born yet um and we've been looking a lot at like uh, sort of the legacy of like who sings in the movies versus who sings on stage and sort of the type of talk singing that was acceptable then versus now uh, where everybody's supposed to be this killer singer and a belter. Um, mm. And yeah, I feel like this is no exception to that. Um, I was going to ask Jeremy actually if like the casting process and if his abilities as a singer were, I don't know, a part of that um, or if like they wrote the part for him. Because it so is they, such a talk part, you know. I would have thought they wrote it for him in the same way that My Fair Lady was kind of written for Rex Harrison or written right. with mm-hmm. him in mind was my understanding of that. But it does, I have read that he auditioned when the song was already written. And I think mm-hmm. that Meredith Wilson had been writing this show for a while. Like I, I saw somewhere there were like 42 songs that were written at some point, which were eventually cut in half for the final production. In my opinion, they probably could have cut a few more songs, but you know. <laughs> Um, so yeah, no, it wasn't written for him. And I think this might've sort of come out of, especially in the earlier sort of pre Oklahoma days, you had kind of, you know, like Ziegfeld Follies sort of musicals where there'd be someone would come out and sing a beautiful song and then you'd have a comedian come out and just do a a comedy routine that wasn't sung at all. And the idea that in your show on Broadway, it didn't have to be everything sung through pretty, you could have, here's the pretty singer, uh, Barbara Mm -hmm. Cook played, um, (laughs) Uh, librarian Mary in the original production and then the movie was replaced by Shirley Jones who we saw was the star of Oklahoma and Carousel she was the main woman in each of those Mm -hmm. she's back here as librarian Marion and uh, yeah you can sort of divorce like here's the parts of the show where you have the singing here's Shapoopy where you have the dancing and here's the speaking maybe a little less integrated in some ways than like an Oklahoma or a West Side Story, but integrated in the sense that all of the songs are, for the most part, in service of the plot. Right. Um, I think we need to talk about Shapoopy now that you've brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Pete, do you have thoughts? Uh, that was also cut from the uh, from the high school version, what? so we didn't get to do it. And, uh, it's a shame. I can't my, imagine why. Yeah, my, yeah. my friend uh, who was playing uh, Marcellus was, I, I don't know if he could have handled it, he was a good, uh, you know, I mean, not, not, uh, I don't know how it ranks <laughs> next to Buddy Hackett, but the, uh, the, like he was a good, you know, uh, the guy who was playing, it was good as a, you know, kind of a funny, kind of a foil for the, for the main guy, but he wasn't the best singer. Um, mm-hmm. so, um, yeah, it, I, it's, it's a song that I didn't even know existed until a couple of years later. And I was like, Oh, what is this? I feel like it's just, I don't know. I feel like every time I Google like music, man, like, Shapoopy comes up like I was looking up clips uh from the show to to refresh and one of the things that came up was just like a lot of people googling what is Shapoopy right. like, what does Shapoopy mean <laughs> um I feel like we should play a little clip of it Jeremy we will um okay. and the sort of as I cue this up one of the purposes of Shapoopy in the movie it's towards the end but in the stage version it's the act one or act two opener maybe the second song in act two 
And there's often a big useless song um, at the beginning of Act 2 so that if the audience is coming mm-hmm. in late from the intermission, they didn't miss anything important. Um, that book I've talked about a few times by Jack Viertel, uh, where it sort of talks about Broadway tropes and how a show is constructed, mm. uh, ta- calls this the clam bake song because at the beginning mm-hmm. of Act 2 of Carousel, they sing, we had a real nice clam bake. And it's probably <laughs> the, the least entertaining song in Broadway history. Um, <laughs> I just saw the Carousel revival and I, I was not entertained by that song. Uh, but yeah, Shapoopy is at least lively. So here's a little bit of Shapoopy. <laughs> this is not Buddy Hackett. Um, no. Now a woman will kiss on the very first date is usually a hussy. And a woman will kiss on the second time out anything but fussy. But a woman will wait till the third time around. Head in the clouds, feet on the ground. She's a girl you're glad you found. She's your Shapoopy. Shapoopy. Honestly, Shapoopy. what the hell? It's a big dance number. Also, that first verse is not great. <laughs> yeah. I don't love that first verse. I forgot about that. I definitely prefer Buddy Hackett. I, we always like to play the original Broadway version when we can because right. uh, we feel guilty that in a show that's ostensibly about Broadway stage musicals, we just spend the whole time talking about movies. <laughs> so, yeah. Hey, we're talking about me- middle school versions too, okay, Jeremy? Yeah. Come on, we're keeping it lofty here. Um, all right, great. Well, now that we've touched on that important um, musical touchstone. I mean, I think, um, is that the, has that taken the place of, I think, for, you know, for, for a number of years, like the, the you know, Trouble was the, the main kind of point of where everybody knew Trouble um, mm. from this. But uh, because I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago, they did a, a gag on Family Guy where they just like, like Peter just sang Shapoopy in its entirety in the middle of an episode. I forgot <laughs> what the setup was. They were like at a like Patriots game or something and they just cut into it and then went like, you're like, oh, how long is this going to get? And they did the whole song, like dance number and everything. And I think, so maybe that has bubbled it up that people know, I bet more people know Shapoopy than know where it came from, if that makes sense. That sure. does make sense. Here, here's a clip, a little bit of... What the hell is Griffin? Griffin? It's almost time for kickoff. Well, I guess we have to start without him. Jesus. Jesus. Okay, here we go. Now a woman who kiss on a very first date is usually a hussy, and a woman who kiss on a second time out is Annie. Okay, that was... Now you've, you've heard... Uh, <laughs> what the hell? And it, he goes through the whole song That's as far wild. as i can recall yeah. it's just like it, it it just stays there for a good you know five minutes just doing you know you does with before getting back to the plot yeah oh, man. that, that is one that. of the best and worst things about family guy like i think of um yeah just a lot of their gags like just keep on running and running um right. until you think like okay this isn't funny anymore it's been going on too long and then it keeps on going further and further and you're like okay i guess it is funny again because now it's <laughs> so outrageous um it breaks through comes around I- the other side yeah. And there's also a lot of, there are a lot of trouble parodies. This one wouldn't be as probably culturally uh, relevant maybe as Family Guy, but I know Conan O'Brien did a trouble parody, I think at the Oscars, uh, when he was the host of the Oscars a few years ago. He, oh, yeah. Uh, maybe the Emmys, uh, he did trouble. So Right. Well, yeah, and he wrote the uh, monorail episode of The Simpsons, which is like... That's right. I mean, that's basically, you know, Music Man... Uh, the, the whole basis for that is Music Man, and then the the monorail song itself is is a parody of Trouble, or a pastiche mm-hmm. at least of Trouble, not a, not a direct parody. I did see that today that he wrote that episode, and I guess he was offered uh, to play Harold Hill in the 2000 revival of 
Music Man, Ooh. and he had to turn it down because of his schedule. And later on, he said that was the uh, hardest choice of his professional career was turning wow. down the Music Man. Conan O'Brien? Yeah. What? I can't imagine him playing Harold Hill, but actually I can yes, totally yes, imagine can. him playing Harold Hill. I thought about it for a second and I changed my mind. I can't Better than the, Matthew Broderick. For the blustery parts, but not necessarily for the you know the, the tender moments, the, the parts of Marion. Yeah. I can't really picture him being... No, okay, sincere, you, you know, but I can totally picture him doing, you know, trouble or doing, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, kind of uh, addressing the crowd, doing the whole, you know, the whole bit. I can picture him as the con man, but not the, um, mm-hmm. not the lover. Certainly not. No, it's oh, kind man. of really related to what we were talking about last week, Hannah, with West Side Story. How every Tony who's yes. ever been cast um, is too much of a lover and not enough of a gang member, and it's really mm-hmm. hard to cast someone who can uh, play both. Um, actually, I did get a, a listener comment, so I'll bring this up now. Um, a listener uh, texted in after listening texted to in. our West Side Story episode and pointed out um, that the best possible choice for someone to play Tony in West Side Story, someone who can kind of both do that menacing gang memberness, but also you know a loving young person, is um, Craig from Degrassi. Who Hannah, <laughs> you and I saw him as Melchior on the Spring Awakening tour. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I, really, I think sure. anyone who plays Melchior, Melchior in Spring Awakening is a similar role in that he sort of like goes crazy and starts like threatening to stab people, but he's also, mm-hmm. and he like maybe rapes uh, Venla, but he's also like a sweet guy at first. He's so, a, um, a tender, a tender person. Yeah. yeah so Tricky. If you're, if you're looking to cast Tony, look for who you already cast as Melchior. <laughs> no, so that's, that's that with that aside. But I uh, don't cast them as Harold Hill. <laughs> no. Correct. Yeah, correct. <laughs> different, different mode. Yeah, because sort of to Pete's point, I also don't picture Robert Preston as a real lover, even though he did it and this movie and musical were successful. It doesn't feel right to me when he falls in love with her and sort of puts aside his whole previous well, life. To that end, I think it's useful that Pete that you brought up My Fair Lady because I think in a lot of ways it's sort of similar. I mean, this is a much more explicit love story, but we never see it like really like consummated in any like super meaningful way, and it's more of like a you know that that's the setup in the story, but like, uh, it's not really like a great love story. Like they sing about each other a lot, right. essentially. Um, but it's it's no West Side Story. Like it's, I feel like I mean even getting back to what we were talking about earlier. Like I think she loves him because he's nice to her, her to to Winthrop. And it's um, I don't see like a deep sexual connection between Harold Hill and Marion the Librarian. Am I wrong? No, uh, I I think I it's probably why it's good for middle school too. Yeah, I I think it's. <laughs> It's appropriate for like it's love the way that it was portrayed publicly yeah. at this time. So for for right. you know, um, for that kind of fifties, early sixties, you know, kind of um, surface, then he's a good actor for that because that's as far as the love story went. You know, like right. what you see on screen is as, as much as you get from stuff. Really, for the most part, at, at this point, um, and so you don't like he doesn't have to be as. Uh, charismatic a lover because tonally it didn't call for it yet whereas like a maybe right. a more modern <laughs> take you might want to have although i noticed uh, not to you know we're trying to go somewhat chronologically but i noticed like as he uh <laughs> this time around last time i watched it and i, I think it's on filmstruck right now or one of the streaming services where it's a good uh, um nice nice high quality stream um <laughs> but i was i was noticing her reaction is sometimes to some of the stuff that he said that wasn't directly like uh, uh, to her 
but the other stuff that that basically he was not only winning her over by being nice to Winthrop, but he's also winning her over by being kind of just not a, a not to generalize, but not being a dumb hick essentially. Like like he makes a couple of like like cultural or scholarly references. I forgot exactly. Uh, I don't have the specifics, but he you know he references like a book or he references a, mm-hmm. a you know, <laughs> philosopher or something like that. Just in a, in a quick the offhand thing. <laughs> And you see Marion's eyes for a second are just like, oh, like he knows that. And he's not saying that to, to, uh, you know, impress me. He's not making stuff up. He's, that's just his, where he's, where his head is at versus everybody else in this town. And so like that angle of the, um, of the love story, I I didn't catch until recently. Mm -hmm. Then he's he's not just like bowling her over, but she's also like, wait a minute. Right. All right. Yeah. he knows what books are yeah, exactly yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> i think there's an element to that um both marion and uh, harold hill think that they're better than ever or smarter than everyone else in the whole cast uh, mm-hmm. each of them think that they're smarter than everyone else in the town and can be a little condescending at times um or at least you know just like trying to put one he's trying to put one over on the town she thinks she knows better about books and she's annoyed at their small-mindedness about you know the great classics of literature that the town thinks might be a little smutty and each of them thinks that they're smarter than each other as well but they both share this thing that no one else in the town shares where they sort of see themselves as outside of this small-minded thing so even Mm. though there's the whole thing how he's lying to her for the whole movie (laughs) in a a way there's there's no (laughs) other man in this entire town who she could really even possibly have a satisfying relationship with. And even if maybe he's not the perfect guy for her, I don't know if he is, she's not going to find a more perfect guy for her unless she leaves this town. So he's basically the best she's going to do in in River City. Right. right, I just want to touch base on your use of the word smutty, Jeremy. Mm. That's all. Just wanted to create some (laughs) space for that. (laughs) Sorry, go ahead, Pete. Previous, like, they don't go too deep into it, but the guy who... um... I forgot his name, Meadow, or what? What's the the guy who who um, paid for the library? Yeah, the guy who owned the library and the park and all the stuff, like the the who they had some kind of relationship, and they they mm-hmm. don't go too deep into what that was. And I don't know, it could just be because it's you know, um, at the time you couldn't, they didn't want to go too deep into it. It would have been too scandalous sure. to mention it, but <laughs> um, but then my brain started like, oh well, that, now I want to see like a like a Music Man prequel of, of that love mm-hmm. story, which is a whole di- different interesting thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm interested, but uh, on the for, as far as what we have on the on the stage uh, currently, I was gonna um, not leap to his defense, but I was gonna say like it's not it's not like he's lying to her just to get to her. He's lying to everybody. So it's oh, a sure. it's yeah. a slight nuance that is you know if if he was just lying to her to get you know to to get with her, that would make him a lot grosser, a lot seedier, a lot more of a you know, a, a less sympathetic character versus he's lying to everybody and then right. he cracks and he kind of lets her in, which is a different, you know, he's still kind of a bad guy, a bad person mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, for the most part. But uh, that that's a much different arc, which which I think that's a really important point, though. Right. Like he's not he, his intent is not to seduce this woman. Right. Uh, with his lies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I will say I feel like I'm always trying to look at things as a lady from the perspective of the present and <laughs> unpack that a little bit for us when we look at these old shows um yeah it doesn't hold up great you know i do yeah. think the point you're making is an important one right though that like he's not we've seen shows where that has been the intent has been to like uh swindle someone in that way specifically uh 
So, you know, we have that going for us that it's not that it's not that. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it, Jerry made the point like she falls for him because there's no one else. Um, and and that's supposed to seem comfortable and right. Um, but that being said, like there is like a tenderness and like an innocence to the story um, that I don't know is deep in our I feel like there's actually like something very American about this story and the cultural values like it espouses in terms of like how we fall for each other also i love this show so i'm not trying to shit on it but (laughs) yeah i I like it i i actually was surprised by how much i enjoyed it i think yeah it it, it outstayed its welcome the movie was two and a half hours um, (laughs) and for the final half hour i was like all right all right let's like get on with it um but Mm -hmm. uh going back just briefly to uh how he's lying to the whole town not just her he's also sort of lying to himself a little bit like he knows Mm. he is but he really embodies the character that he's trying to put on everyone about the band leader and i think it's really telling what he tells winthrop at the end when he's being totally honest with uh winthrop and he says like kid i always believe there's a band um even though he always skips town he's he's the the sort of changes he's making in town even if he had left and never come back i mean they still have all these instruments he still made these changes in winthrop's life maybe it would all go back to normal it's definitely irresponsible of him to just abandon all these towns who are probably thinking to like maybe sell back the instruments but there's there's something of what he does that is real and it's not like in order for him to stay in the town and lead the band he needs to you know fundamentally change and do all these things he's never done before he's just got to learn how to read music and keep being the character who he's been being for, you know, years. It's, it's not like this, the, the, the good guy, Harold Hill, who he's putting in front of the town is a part of him just as much as the con man is. So it's not that much of a leap for him to then just embody the character and become the character um, and right, be with right. Marion. Well, okay. So we've made it this far. I do think we should touch base uh, about Winthrop. Uh, Pete, specifically, I'd love to hear your take on Winthrop. Uh, I'd love to hear about your journey with that character. I think that's I'm uh, not going to say if that's what you're getting at. Use of our time. Well, not right now. You say that now. Yeah, too early. <laughs> it's too early. Uh, but yeah, t- could you take us through Winthrop and his journey and uh, what it was like as a middle schooler to play him? Um, he's a, you know... A, I feel like at the time I I felt like he had a little more uh, depth because I was in there, you know. Mm-hmm. As, as, sure. You know, watching it now, it's just kind of like, oh yeah, he's just a, you know, not that he's a uh, plot device, but he's, you know, he's not really <laughs> like we don't really hear his story that much except through other people's dialogue, and he's he's there basically as the, you know, he's like the the Maltese Falcon or something that you know it's 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 not about him as much, but. It was a great uh, the family thing that we were talking about before. I think it was a good, mm. you know, because that that whole setting of just the you know um, Mrs. Peru and Marion and and Winthrop is a good bounding. Like you get a lot of scenes with just them, and so that's you know that is a real concise way just to be like oh like you know American even though it's not a hundred percent traditional American family because you have you know the father died you know and so it's like a it's not the you know american gothic kind of you know like husband and wife and you know two kids it's like you know the mom and the daughter and the and the son and there's mm-hmm. something going on there and it's a good kind of way of painting that you know that this is what the town is about like this is what he's this is what he's affecting in a really concise way if that makes sense yeah and, no totally and uh he's a good um i don't know it's it's weird for somebody who's not that uh not that much of a part of it 
to get you know basically like like two breakout song moments which is nice right he got he kind of has a lot of i mean maybe we should play do we want to hear a little bit of gary indiana at least yeah i'll pull up the (laughs) ronnie howard one because we don't care about whoever played it on broadway Uh, we care about uh, ron howard um upcoming (laughs) upcoming director of solo uh, a star (laughs) wars story um as a little boy uh, around the andy griffith days so Man, is that what? Maybe that. Sorry, that's just like a deep connection for you, Pete, between the Star Wars and the Music Man universe that pleases me. (laughs) (laughs) What keeps coming back to that? Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) Great. (laughs) He's pretty. uh, I mean, I don't know. It's it's a little. It's a little sticky sweet, like it's not really... Yeah, it's the worst and yeah. also the best yeah. part of the show, I would argue. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, Maybe we'll um... get a Family Family Guy episode with Gary Indiana next. <laughs> Could be good. <laughs> Jeremy, what do you think? Yes, I, I, have, I have some Gary Indiana facts. Um, Great. I grew up very close to Gary because I grew up in Chicago, and my uh, grandparents lived in Toledo, Ohio, so we would drive by Gary on the expressway several times a year. Um, it is a very abandoned city. It has a much about half the population that it used to have um, when it hit its peak of being sort of a steel town. And um, did any? I don't know if any of you ever watched the History Channel documentary called Life After People. It was um, hmm. about like once all the humans are dead, um, this is what this is like what the cities are going to look like when they've sort of returned back to nature and it takes place in the far future after like nuclear apocalypse. And I remember actually watching this at the time in the mid 2000s and I was looking up Gary just before this and I realized they, they filmed that TV show in Gary. Like they didn't say it was Gary, Indiana. I think they're just like, this is what the world will look like after <laughs> all the humans are gone because that's actually what Gary is like. Um, yeah, so. I, I drove through there once. <laughs> Um, with a bunch of friends, we were on a road trip, and we went. Um, I think it was probably around, right around two thousand or so, maybe ninety eight or something. So, uh, I don't know if it was as bad as as it is now. I don't think it could be, but it it's um, it certainly was. You know, we drove in there. I think we were like, you know, singing like Gary Indiana. <laughs> we we're like excited. We're going to drive through that, and it's going to be this crazy. Expecting kind of the, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, magical like, even though it doesn't take place there, some kind of Music Man kind of setting. And then we just drove through, and it was just abandoned <laughs> and scary. And we were like, ah, roll up the windows. Oh yeah, don't stop your car, yeah. <laughs> Gary. Like I've, I've driven by in the expressway a lot, but one time we accidentally got off the expressway too early and had to drive through Gary itself. And it's like, oh my god, like don't like let's keep keep it moving. Um. Let's see, we're uh, we're at the fifty minute point. Uh, we're at the so fifty minute mark. Great, I, I, we're getting there. I, I feel like we can we can skip a lot of these songs. I'm I'm not interested in Lie to Rose. That's uh um, I have written in my notes, being in love. This is the pee song, which means uh, this is when you're watching the when you're in the movie theater and you have to go pee. Being in love is where you get up. Right. I don't. I honestly what? don't even remember what how that song goes. I can't. Which speaks to your point. <laughs> yeah. I love the Wells Fargo song. I was gonna say, um, I'd be interested in that. I'd be interested in hearing a little bit of Marion. Some like some some. Let's get some Marion. Oh yeah, Mary. It's a yeah. nice soft shoe number. Good dancing. Mary the librarian. Um, yeah. I think some of the best singing by Robert Preston. We'll we'll give a little bit of that. I love a good soft shoe. <laughs> When you say his best singing, Jeremy. 
slight vibrato in there. Slight. Slight. Like the amount Set the bar of nice and low. What can I do, my dear, to make it clear? I think this is one of the more. I need you badly, badly, madam librarian. One of the more musically interesting, if I musically interesting songs. And I busted my whatchamacallit. I could show. lie on your floor unnoticed till my body had turned to care. Yeah, no, he's got it. <laughs> All right. Rhymes like I just like carrion. I, yeah, carrion. Like that's some good stuff. I honestly think that like hearing it again. I think what I love about the song is just watching her totally dismiss him the whole time. <laughs> yeah, I the, think, uh, the I mean, at least in the in the movie, uh, obviously not in the uh, high school production that I that I was in. At least the the dancing in the in the movie version of this, the choreography is pretty amazing. Like if you see that, you get like. Like like Tommy Gillis and his crew, or like they're all doing this kind of crazy like gymnastic, like a, a little bit like West Side Story. They're kind of like all over the place, like doing these really kind of dynamic moves, uh, just all around the library, which is which is pretty neat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What was uh, what was the version in your middle school like? No dancing. I don't think anybody could. Dance no dancing. <laughs> just standing. Yeah, we could barely manage singing and standing at the same time. Sure. Although I do want to, I do want to. Going back to Wells Fargo Wagon for a second, that uh, that was a big kind of, I got to do a kind of, you know, everybody was lined up up front and I got to kind of run up and slide through them on my knees, basically, to, the, you know, the front of the stage, oh, like wow. get a moment there, which was nice. Classic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Wells, Fargo, Wells Fargo Wagon, yeah. It was just uh, Wells Fargo's just fined a billion dollars for like mortgage fraud. There you go. Nice. Yeah. Well... At least we have this song. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, they'll be they'll be known for wagons in the long run instead of ripping people off. Though. Yeah. <laughs> Are you gonna play some of it, Jeremy? Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll play a little bit of Wells Fargo, and then I don't, I don't need I to. Will. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, you know, rooting for it. I'm just saying that uh, it was a great. <laughs> You're just saying. Theatrically, it was fun to just be able to kind of burst through people and slide out on my knees. And, oh, certainly. And get the whole crowd going. A knee yeah. slide moment is something to be envied. Yeah. I think something uh, you can only do when all... you're young or, or old and limber. Right. Okay. Once you've heard that much, I get you sort song... of know how the song goes. <laughs> I get that song stuck in my head all the time, actually. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know what that's about. That's some, like, deep childhood stuff i guess yeah i kind of forgot that song's from the music man for a while actually um anyway great a few other notes before we get to the beatles song um (laughs) um, i'll comment on the 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 young love couple there's the boy uh who sets off the bomb um in the town hall and then he gets set up with the mayor's daughter first of all the girl who plays the mayor's daughter in this movie played the young uh daughter of the main couple in carousel in the carousel movie so uh so she and the woman who shirley jones who is playing marion were in that movie together and they had that famous scene from carousel where the daughter says is it possible for someone to hit you hit you real loud and hard and have it not hurt at all and then shirley jones says yes daughter it's 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 possible for someone to hit you real hard and not have it hurt so they are Mm. uh together again here well that's great that's a lovely throwback and i looked up the the boy um in that couple because i thought he's an excellent dancer and um i just found this from an anonymous commenter on some uh random online thread his name was timmy everett the actor 
says Timmy Everett was quite the gay party boy and apparently a little bit unbalanced and had been involved in a romantic triangle with Tab Hunter and Tony Perkins from Mm. Psycho in the late 1950s. When Tony left L.A. and Tab for New York to star in Look, Homeward Angel, he took up with Timmy um, and who got very attached very quickly. But when Tab came to New York to shoot Hans Brinker for the Hallmark Playhouse, Tony very much shifted away from Timmy to spend time with big blonde Tab. Timmy didn't exactly take it well. Apparently, the scandal was such an open secret that everyone was afraid Dorothy Kilgallen would spill, as she called it, the tale of the three T's in her column. So, wow, there you go. Wow. Okay. I feel like a lot of stuff comes back to Anthony Perkins in my uh, in my life. It's weird, (laughs) but uh, so I'm not surprised at all that you just brought uh, brought him into this. Are there there any other examples of say more? Yeah, we're interested. It's hard to pick out specifics, but I I just like I feel like he's always uh, around in some way. Like if I look deep enough into something, there's a. Have you guys have you guys seen The Last of (laughs) Sheila? I feel like I was just talking about this somewhere. It's a movie um, written by Anthony Perkins and Stephen Sondheim. Ah, oh no, but that sounds on brand for us. Yeah, and it's it's great. It's like a weird ensemble kind of like a mystery movie like they're trying mm-hmm. to figure out you know uh, like they're trying to solve a, a, a puzzle the whole time essentially there's a lot of puzzles and word games because both i think that was part of the bond between sondheim and anthony perkins tony perkins kept kind of talking about you know like the crossword puzzle from that day or or whatever and they they had a a bond kind of over word games and and different kinds of brain puzzles and stuff and so they wrote this movie yeah which is I, I sort of know exactly what you mean about how you can't think of specific examples but he's always coming up because yeah. i always <laughs> just knew him as the guy from psycho i don't know him from anything else and yet i feel like just listening to podcasts over the years he's constantly getting mentioned could be me i mean i've talked about him too much perhaps, it could be it might be you might be the connection right. <laughs> yeah I, I, I've, yeah probably listened too much to you um Great. All right, all right. Let, let's all go right. to Till There Was You. Uh, this is also Oh, God, that's a good song. For it's a beautiful Pete. song. Um, so, Hannah, did you know this was a Beatles song? No, I didn't know it was a Beatles song. It is a Beatles song. Um, that's wild. Okay, great. I am understanding a lot of things now. So there's like a lot of weird Star Wars and Beatles connections to Music Man. I just want to put that out there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've learned a lot this episode. Um, so I'll ask Pete about this shortly, but basically, um, this, I mean, the song was written for the music man, but it was covered by a number of people. Uh, there was a British singer, Peggy Lee, who covered till there was you and Paul McCartney heard that version of the song in Britain. His cousin, Bette Robbins, who sometimes babysitted him would play this song in the fifties. And he didn't realize until way later that it was from the music man, but he loved the song, the Peggy Lee version. So uh, the Beatles would play it when they were playing at the Star Club in Hamburg, uh, like their German early days. They would play this song, and it was sort of uh, one of the the first songs just in their repertoire. They played it at the Ed Sullivan Show, which is, I think, a bizarre wow. choice, but um, maybe they thought the Americans. I love the Ed Sullivan Show. It. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 not very Beatlesy, but it sort of shows off their range. It's an early example of uh, how sometimes Paul McCartney would do like weird lounge songs or whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, Pete, you did a whole podcast episode about this song. I'm guessing i haven't listened to it but you must have yeah we um i i believe and granted it's been a while um because that we we finished that show we, we did all the beatles songs uh, and we finished you know over a year ago and i i'm going back and trying to recall um that specific episode but i i think i mentioned on that that my familiarity with it was much more from the musical than it was from 
you know, by the time I heard the Beatles version, I was like, oh, well, yeah, this is that song that actually this is the song that my friend Jesse sings because he was the lead in the in the production that we did. And so it's a weird. So like in my head, it's like, you know, my friend from ninth grade, then, you know, Robert Preston and then Paul McCartney. And so that's that's the hierarchy of till there was you. But, uh, yeah, no, I love that. Uh, uh, and I don't know if it's I think it's him imitating Peggy Lee or was it? But he he does these like, you know, the there were birds all around but i never saw them winging like he has a really weird accent thing going on with that that i thought that was just a liverpool thing um i can i'll play i'll play it um here's here's a live version of till there was you not from ed sullivan There was that. Never okay. saw yeah. them. That has like a weird vibe. I never yeah. saw them. That one has like sort of like a fun islandy, uh, like almost like almost like a bassa vibe to it. Yeah, musically, yeah. That's different. Very different from the show. <laughs> yeah. Can we can we hear the the version from the musical? Oh, for contrast. Sure, absolutely. Um, and everyone, I feel like everyone thinks that this is a Robert Preston song, but uh, at least the first time it shows up in the show, it is a uh, Barbara Cook sings it slash Shirley Jones. Mm. So here's that. Hello. Can we hear, is this the Barbara Cook version? Yeah, this is Barbara Cook. Great. There were birds uh, I love her. Very different from Paul McCartney. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to my friend uh, Matthew Mastronardi, who's the biggest Barbara Cook fan in the world, and hopefully is going to listen to this episode, but we'll see. Um, great. Thanks for that, Jeremy. <laughs> no problem. Yeah, cool. All right, um, we're, we're hitting the hour mark here, yeah? I think there's with, one uh, one more thing we should talk about, and then we can get great. into ranking this. And, uh, most important. Uh, and, uh, we're going to make you give this, uh, put numbers to this this musical, Pete, just so you know. But, oh, yeah. Right. Uh, Stay tuned. Last, the, the other big song we haven't talked about is 76 Trombones, and the song oh, that comes yes. right before that well. is Good Night, My Someone. And interestingly, mm-hmm. um, and this isn't like some great insight for me, like the musical itself makes it clear, but it's two different songs. Good Night, My Someone um, is a waltz in three, and then 76 Trombones is a march in four that sound totally different from each other, but it turns out they actually have the exact same tune, and later on, um, the two main characters are singing it separately and uh, comes together. So, but I'll play a little bit of just the oh. the main version of seventy six trombones as opposed to the part where it comes together. Seventy six trombones led the big parade with a hundred and ten cornets close at hand. They were followed by rows and rows of the finest virtuosos, the cream of every famous band. There's that song, and then a little snippet of Goodnight, My Someone, sung by Barbara Cook, right before that. Eventually. <laughs> we'll get to it. Goodnight, my someone. 
So you can sort of hear it's a similar tune. It's 76 trombones. Yeah. Good night, my good someone. Night, my yeah. someone. Yeah. yeah, it's almost yeah, it's like good. I didn't ever do that. Never. Way extended. So you fit all three notes of each measure into <laughs> e- into each one of the the things. So it's like, you know, a set of 3 four times. It's 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 pretty neat. Mm-hmm. That's all my my completely technical musical jargon there. It's like yeah. it's like three things and you shove them into one thing and you got four of them. Um, any any notes anyone has uh, left over that they haven't gotten to before we put this thing in context? Um, she doesn't really get to sing much, but the this last time that I watched it, the viewing was all about the mayor's wife. Hermione mm-hmm. Gingold as as uh, uh, Mrs. Shin was just fantastic in the movie. Um, I, I don't know who played her in the <clears throat> the original Broadway uh, performance. I. I didn't uh, my initial googling didn't find that for me but that was that's such a fun like she's the perfect foil for it kind of exactly what you're talking about with the how the family represents the kind of you know heart of you know like oh here's the real people here she's like exactly the opposite and the, like her both <laughs> the mayor and his wife are both so like blustery not real kind of caricature mm-hmm. of you know like uptight <clears throat> you know uh, uh, town folk that it's uh, it, it's fantastic they both do a great job Mm-hmm. Uh, the stage actress for that character is named Helen Raymond, who was not in any movies after 1923, so we oh. would not know her. Um, Pick a little, talk a little is like my favorite yeah. song. <laughs> I've said that about a lot of songs. Uh, it's just, uh, I think it fits into the Gary in the end, the category of worst and best. Pick a little, talk a little, uh, pick a little, talk a little, pick a little, 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 Another really important uh, contribution to the patter legacy of American musical theater. Um, great. Just had to sneak that in there. Um, Um, I mean, we haven't talked at all about sort of like the dream ending of the show, which I think is sort of fun. Oh, is that a dream? I I sort of thought that maybe they're trying to sell it to us that he actually does, they end up getting all the new costumes and at some point he does become a great band leader and the whole town is in a huge marching band and they did a fast forward. Right. Like he sticks around and becomes an actual, but I I don't, I mean, there's only so far that he could take it. You know, he doesn't have any I mean, musical yeah. knowledge, so. Yeah, I don't That's know. True. I was, I was, was like, some synopses describe it as a dream, I mm. guess. I mean, I think it's intentionally open to interpretation. Right. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it's, like, a curious ending. It's maybe one of the only avant-garde moment in the whole show. It's a little like uh, otherwise the it's, flying car yeah. at the end of the same idea, where it's just like, yeah. hey, fun, happily ever after in the sky. Like, this is that kind of like, hey, fun, everybody's a real band, and it's all... Let's all sing as they go by. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder, something I thought about watching the film is, like, they keep panning back to Marion, watching them turn into, in the film, like, you see the the band kids sort of become real musicians, and you see it from Marion's perspective, and it made me wonder if the final number is, like, Marion's perspective of, like, her, what Harold Hill is, like, like to her, you know, like, her imagining it. But, um, and really from the whole town's perspective, like, they hear their kids play, and they're still impressed, even though they sound terrible. And so it's sort of like the dream of the town takes over. Uh, I don't know. That's a thought I had watching it again that I thought was sort of like lovely. Like that's a nice. I like that better than um, the flash forward. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Not to shit on your idea, Jeremy. But... No, no. I think you you guys are probably right. I, I just I watched it wrong. Well, <laughs> this is sort of Pete no alluded to way, it but, at the very uh, beginning of, of uh, the episode. Pete mentioned that mm. in real life, you know, the parents all go see the music man. And they think their kids are so talented. Yeah, really ooh, not. right. 
Yeah, I'm sure if yeah, I took out nice, that videotape, yeah. it would be it would be awful, and oh. and you know you would be like, oh, like this is cringeworthy. But all the parents that were there loved it because that's what that's all they wanted to see was there, you know. And that that like weirdly, there's a certain I don't know if it's you know, I you you know brain changes and you get weird when you have kids, but like that like that first moment where like. You know, they start playing and the one parent stands up and was, I forgot who's first, if like Davy or something like that. And they're like, that's my Davy. And like they got all excited and like, A, like it's that that swell of, you know, that emotional swing from they're all, you know, upset with him to, oh, my God, they're they're totally, you know, they're on board. Like the parents. So the, the parents excitement and then coupled with with Robert Preston does a great subtle acting thing there where he, he's <laughs> kind of conducting and he just like kind of gives him a wink and he's like great job Davey like keep going <laughs> you know that we, we might make it through this that emotion is a good uh you know he doesn't have to be I guess that's he's realizing he doesn't have to be super amazing like the the he's again maybe it goes back to his character he doesn't have to be perfect like it, it, and he's his true character is close enough that he's just on the other side of the line in a sense like he is Mm. he is lying to them but he is in his head there's always a band and so like just to for him to take that easy step into okay well there's a band <laughs> here they are you know they're they might not be you know well practiced they might not be you know they, they don't know anything i didn't teach them anything but there's a, i organize them and here's a band and it's you know right. him kind of knowing realizing like okay well the step from you know uh, uh charlatan to legitimate isn't that great of a step so maybe he's you know growing for a second there i don't know um, no i, I no, that's I, lovely i agree yeah it's it's, yeah. it's through the the happiness and the hearts of children that we all become better <laughs> right. people probably binge is a wholesome family podcast at the end of the day hannah's <laughs> always saying the f word and i have to constantly bleep it out um but i haven't i don't think i've been that bad today. on this episode this episode you're fine i, I said shit a all lot right, let's well. rank let's rank this thing <laughs> okay so, let's rank this so harder. the way we do it here um after we talk about the historical context of every musical of all time we rank them and put them in order so uh we're just gonna give it three scores one to ten we'll walk you through as we as we go uh the first score is one to ten was this musical important? How important do you think it was to the development of uh, musical theater as a whole? Um, and you don't need to have a, uh, a PhD in musical theater history to do this because we certainly don't. So yeah, um, and like things we've given really high scores to are shows, you know, like Oklahoma or Showboat that really revolutionized the whole medium. So uh, there's really there's really no way you can go wrong here. Uh, so yeah. Uh, also, feel free to be like like you you can be. Uh you can be weird with your scores. Like we love that disrupt, disrupt the system, basically power to you. So (laughs) don't feel like you have to follow suit with us, you know, be an individual here. (laughs) Yes. Uh, We we brought on a a guest who'd been on 30 rock who uh, loved guys and Dallas so much and gave it such a high score that it like ruined our ranking system. Yeah. I really fucked it up. I'm Uh, sorry, Jeremy. Okay. So here we go. Okay. Let's all think of a score. One to 10. Uh, Not without influencing each other. Was this important? This is actually tough. Um, wasn't important yeah okay whatever i've got a score it's yeah fine okay all right cool all right let's do it yeah okay i'm gonna give it a score of five oh because i don't think this is uninfluential like i don't want to say it's less than a five if like the fact that parodies of it are still being done in like family guy today means that this has a real lasting cultural impact but on the other hand it's not like broadway changed because of this show Maybe to the extent it had an impact, we could say this and West Side Story came out at the same time. 
either one of them could have been the new future of Broadway and what everyone was aspiring to, but this is the show that won out, and Broadway in the 60s was much more in line with Music Man, so I'm giving it just a solid middle-of-the-road five. Great. Uh, Pete, do you want to go next, and I will go last? Oh, yeah, I mean, mine was, uh, my thinking is somewhat similar. It seems, you know, it didn't reinvent much, if if anything, um, but I, mm-hmm. I'll go a little bit higher because it does have a, a cultural impact that I think, you know, as much as, you know, West Side Story is more kind of the, it affected the Broadway world and the way that, you know, the way that mm-hmm. kind of the, uh, the way that things went, like, I think people on the street, oh, no, that's not true. I was going to say people on the street might have a harder time naming songs from that than this, but uh, that could not be true at all. Uh, but I, I'm going to go so a little bit higher. I'll go with a six because it's it, it didn't reinvent right. anything, but it was, you know, I feel like it was important to have, but it was basically just kind of um, not treading water, but, you know, it was doing, wasn't doing anything that hadn't been done per se. It was just doing it well and kind of making, you know, um, mm-hmm. adding fuel to an existing fire. If I can mix weird metaphors. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Great. No, I'm with you. Um, I was, I'm going to give it a five for the same reasons as Jeremy outlined. Um, yeah, the family guy thing actually impacted my decision. I was like, oh yeah, great. There actually is this whole legacy, this like cultural legacy of Music Man um, that exists. If you know, if not because the show is revolutionary, because it touched on something called like I think like we America made it important for itself because America liked it. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Rather than even though even if it wasn't changing the system. Um, yeah. Great. Okay. Okay. Great. Next Done. up. Um, so next the, up. So the next two. S- ratings we're gonna give and i'll sort of mention them both at the same time because they're kind of related first we give it a score of is it or was it good at the time compared only to musicals that had come out before it in that sort of context how good was this um and this is sort of to not because the next score after this is going to be is it good today like one to ten how good is this show like you've seen every musical in history like compared to hamilton compared to your Sondheims and because we feel like that could be a little bit unfair to some older musicals that like were excellent for their time and the people then just didn't know that you could write something like Sondheim like so we sort of give Mm. it this was it good score separately to maybe bump up an older show that was good for its time so the first thing we're going to do now is all we're all going to give it a score one to ten on how good was this show in 1957 when it came out if we were all alive in 1957 what would we give it on a uh, scale of one to ten so sure Huh. Uh, who do we want to go first? Who wants to go first? <laughs> I'll go first again. Definitely I not me. I, yeah, <laughs> you can go last. Um, I'm going to give it a seven, which okay. part of me worries might be low. It also doesn't help that I have not seen the stage version in a while. This sort of has a mm. similar problem for me that My Fair Lady did, which is where it's excellent, but way too long. So I'm bored by the end. Mm. On stage, that might be less worrisome because you sort of committed yourself to spending the whole night at the theater. That's what you're going to do for that night. Whereas this is like, right. I came home from work, put on The Music Man, and I'm like, what? I have to like stay up until midnight watching this thing? Like, this is absurd. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I think it's fine. Even Maybe I would have liked it more than a seven then, but I'll give it a seven. I feel like that's a decent score. Great. Cool. All right. Who's going next? Am I next? Pete next? You're up, Hannah. I'm up. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm going to give it a seven and a half, I think, just because... Um, you know, I think it does what it does so well, and so many of the songs are so iconic and catchy. Um, you know, I don't know. Yeah, is that low? Maybe. Is that high? Maybe. Um, but, I mean, I think we can look at, like, how well it did at its time, and, like, obviously people loved it. Um, and so that informs my opinion. Uh, I don't know. Gary, Indiana. 
All right. <laughs> what, what are your thoughts, Pete? Um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm more. I'm I'm glad you did a half because I didn't know you could do halves. Because uh, <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, I'm in a whole zone up a little bit higher probably, but I'll go mm-hmm. eight and a half because mm-hmm. I think it de- definitely. All right. I don't have the same uh, issues with with slow um, that you know this or or um, you know My Fair Lady, which is also one of my favorites. Like that, um, you know, I, mm. I when I put them on, I kind of I know. All right, I'm in for mentally. I can block out this amount of time. And I'm like, I'm mm-hmm. not expecting it to pull me along as much. And I know, I, I, it's not just with this. I like slow movies, the boring movies in general. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, it, eight and a half. Like I could even be convinced to go higher, but it's uh, it, given mm-hmm. that uh, this is, you know, mm-hmm. I'm I'm in the wilderness here with nothing, so it's it's fine. I'm not, you know, like I'm not. <laughs> I don't have to go into you know next week, whatever. Give another nope, score right, yeah. to a different show really that's going to be related to this. Just go eight and a half, yeah, letting sure. everybody know that I like it. Fine. Great. All right. So now, is it good compared to every musical of all time? How much do you like this today? It's 2018. What do you think of this show? Uh, I I have a, I have a score in mind. Oh, but I'll give you guys Let's a second. Make, so I, don't I want Pete to go you. first. How do you feel about going first, Pete? Yeah, you should go first. Um, wait, how does this? I, I feel like the, the my last score combined two maybe. So that that was at the time, and this is now. Or yeah, yeah, this is like your way of being like. So like you know, some of the shows we've talked about, we look back and we're like, we can acknowledge that this show was really popular and really good at the time, but we personally hate it. Or vice versa. Right. But you could also uh, give the same were... score to both. Like, I gave West Side yeah. Story 10s and Was It Good and Is It Good because I thought it was the best show of all time then and it still might be. So, like, if you thought, like, maybe you as a, as a human being in 1957 would think this is an 8.5 and still today also think it's an 8.5. Yeah. It's, it's open for Weirdly, I might go higher now because the mm. kind of separate the wheat from the chaff in a sense. Like, at the time, it may have come out, there might have been a lot more similar things that I um you know would have been aware of uh so i think at mm-hmm. the time for it, it was you know not as we said not not super revolutionary it was it was something but now that you know there's only a handful of musicals from this era that i will you know that i'm still aware of essentially that uh, and mm-hmm. so from being kind of separate from those in its own thing i feel like it gains a little bit and it's it's certainly one of my favorites one and you know, just the other day we watched the movie uh, version, and I was uh, uh, impressed with how kind of how how entertaining it was. How entertaining I found it. You know, for for the whole family. In a, in sure. A, if that that sounds corny, like that is entertainment for the whole family. But all for the um, whole family. Yeah. It was. Uh, you know, there's it's it's good. It holds up. So I'm at, I'm gonna go a little bit higher. I'm gonna give it that extra half point to get it to a nine. Oh, oh, um, that's fair. For that. Coming up big. Hannah, do you want to go next for this one? <laughs> yes. Um, for those watching at home, there's now a cat on my lap. Um, yes, I'm going to give it a. Uh, you know, I'm going to give it a. I'm going to give it a. I'm going to give it a, a, a six and a half because um, I'm picky and uh, my taste is my taste. Um, no, it holds a soft space in my heart, I think, for sure. But um, in terms of like my taste contemporarily, contem- that's not a word, uh, my taste in contemporary musicals, uh, that's about where it falls. And that's all I have to say about that. And I'm giving it a six, which sounds maybe low in comparison to your guys' score, but it's one of the better scores I've given. Yeah, we um, tend to go pretty low, Pete, so... 
Yeah, no, no it's, it's no funny because I'm always the one defending these old shows, I feel like, more so than Hannah and, like, sticking up for yeah. them is, like, historically important. And then when we get to this score, I'm like, I don't actually like any of these shows. <laughs> no, but I do, the thing, the reason I give this one a six is because I do like it. I am entertained. I was surprised at yeah. how entertaining I found it. I think I was more entertained mm-hmm. now as an adult than I was watching this as a kid. Um, sure. And, and really, the only reason I wouldn't give it higher than a six is just that I think that there are so many better musicals that I prefer, but I do think this is a good one. Uh, so scores, yeah. All scores. Right. We've made it. Well, to scores. Jeremy's going to do some quick math. Um, I have a spreadsheet, so it does most of the math. He's a spreadsheet. Already, if I think it does I math for him. So, um, just between Hannah and I, century. the score for this would have been uh, thirty-seven, which would have placed this in a tie for eleventh out of nineteen. But with the bump from but. Pete, um, that puts it up to forty point three three, which puts this in the top 10. So we've done 19 shows right. so far. This is in the top 10, right. right behind the Three Penny Opera, right ahead of On the Town. So um, yeah. right in the middle ahead of the Ahead of Three Penny mm-hmm. Opera? Behind Three Penny, sorry. Three Penny. Behind, three, behind Actually, three Penny Opera. I would have expected this to be higher because usually even Hannah and I aren't giving out scores. Yeah. Three Penny had weirdly large scores. I don't know what to I think say I, about I, it. I like this more than both of those, I think. So, Well, I mean, yeah. Again, <laughs> yeah. well personally... Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think um, I think this is definitely better than the 10th best show, but then we also give that first score for Was It Important, where this, I think, took right. a pretty right. decent right. hit. Right. Uh, it's just how we decided right. to mm-hmm. measure shows. And then we also do mm-hmm. a separate, uh, more objective ranking, which isn't necessarily the official one, but we take into account how long the run of this show was compared to the right. longest running show that had been out at that point. So at this point, My Fair Lady had a longer run than this show, twice as long. So um, we give this a score of five for that. This is sort of to help bring it to a more objective level away from just Hannah, in my opinion. And when you take that into consideration, this has a grand... This doesn't make any sense. Oh, okay. 45.33. <laughs> and in that, it is also number 10. Okay, so there we go. Interesting. So even when you add in an objective viewpoint of how the audience is liked at the time and how long it ran, it is still the same place great okay, well that's okay go. that's good to know that we're consistent yeah um so that was uh the music man we've basically talked about it uh, any any last thoughts anyone before we play this one out i mean it's pete it's great to have you with us yeah. always exciting to have a new voice on the podcast we appreciate the yeah. uh, many links you made towards different cultural touch points <laughs> uh, you want to make any plugs pete yeah thanks thanks for having me on and yeah anything you want to promote um <clears throat> yeah, if you uh, you know, Star Wars Minute is my main thing, and that's uh, as we discovered that there's there's a lot of uh, way deep buried ties between um, Music Man and Star Wars. <laughs> you can find them; they're there. Um, that's uh, StarWarsMinute.com, and uh, like we did alphabetical. If you want to go listen to the episode that we did about uh, Tilda Wears You or or any of the other uh, Beatles songs. Um, that's alphabetical.com and currently I'm doing a show called ABC Devo where we go alphabetically through all the Devo songs um, which they don't have a musical connection really I mean a stage musical connection as far as I know but cool but, uh, yeah those, those, those are my three main main yeah. gigs we can probably so, link to those too Jeremy okay. yeah. and, and for those who don't know Fantastic. Pete and uh, Alex Robinson as well really invented two major genres of podcasts because now like everyone and their mother has a movies by minute podcast where they go through movies sure. one at a time <laughs> and there's like a bunch of knockoff like going through one band's discography alphabetically like um I had a friend mm-hmm. who was like telling me to listen to this like Bruce Springsteen alphabetical podcast, and I'm like, uh, 
That's a you know that's a knocked off of a Beatles one. But anyway, yeah. Um, let's uh, let's promote our own show with now. permission. They, most people are they're great about coming out and reaching out to me. So yeah. <laughs> so Broadway Binge, cool. our show, uh, which you are listening to right now. Please uh, subscribe to this. If you're just listening to this online or something, uh, you can just look up Broadway Binge in any podcast app. You'll get all the episodes when they come out. Um, you can find all of our episodes with some links and pictures at broadwaybinge.podbean.com and tweet at us at Broadway underscore binge on Twitter, uh, where you can join the conversation, which we might read on the air if you tweet at us. Um, and don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes, which will help more people discover the podcast. Uh, so uh, thank you again, Pete, for coming. This was great. Yeah, great to have you, Pete. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Bye. <laughs>